0: to day two cloud we have an absolute treat for you today i do mean that we had so much fun recording the show a sponsored show with console connect where we're going to talk about software defined interconnects the big idea you go up to a web browser point click now you've got a circuit stood up between your data center and aws or between you and a business partner etc and we're going to get into the details of how all that is done with our guest today ned what stood out to you about this show
1: I mean the key thing that you said is details and we get into details they they don't just talk about the product and what it does yes I mean that stuff is pretty cool but we actually talk about the orchestration engine that's sitting underneath the workflow engine how they had to run actual commands on the Cisco gear like we get into the nitty-gritty and the details and for me that was the most delightful part of the entire conversation
0: Oh, it was fun. It was really fun. Your voices today, the people you're going to be hearing are guests. Uh, Paul Gampy, Chief Technology Officer at Console Connect. Jay Turner, Vice President of Development and Operations at Console Connect. And these guys are nerds. Jay, in fact, had told us as we were prepping for this, that he's responsible for a lot of the automation and so on that happened. He knows a lot about what's going on. And again, it really shows. Please enjoy this sponsored episode with Console Connect. Well, Paul, welcome to the show, and we want to hand the first question off to you. We need a 10,000-foot view of Console Connect. You guys are new to the Day2Cloud audience, so what is this company and product all about?
2: Uh, Console Connect is a platform designed to orchestrate connectivity between data centers, clouds, and anybody who's a participant on the platform.
0: You said orchestrate connections between. Does that mean I'm... Are you supplying the connectivity as well?
2: Yeah. Uh, Console Connect came about um, in 2014. And in 2017, we were acquired by PCCW Global. So it's an amalgamation of uh, 1.3 million lines of code and combined with one of the largest global networks in the world.
0: <laughs> so now and- I'm trying to decide, should I be excited about 1.3 million lines of code because of the capability <laughs> or frightened to death? Scared, Paul. <laughs>
2: Uh, I wake up in the morning uh, feeling both depends on how the day goes and what the defect in the backlog looks like. Uh, oh, but it's a substantial capability, I think, is a takeaway I'd like you to take. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, that sort of begs the question. What is that 1.3 million lines of code doing? Like why, why start console connect? There's certainly other companies out in the provider space. So I assume the code is, is your differentiating factor. What's all that code doing?
2: Uh, I so in 2014, uh, when we started Console Connect in terms of the development community, Jay and myself and, and a few others who joined to begin developing the platform, we really I certainly joined the organization because I saw that we had through a long period of time worked in open source and done a lot to empower the enterprise through getting access to source code. Yeah, that was sort of the last 20 years of, of my career prior to joining uh, Console Connect. And certainly with Jay and a few others, all of us come from a long period of contribution to the open source community. And what we saw is these cloud providers, you know, the hyperscalers had to some extent taken open source and begun to commoditize it again. Um, and so was that doing several things to disable or to disempower the enterprise? And one of the things that really struck me is... As the pendulum swings from decentralization back to centralization and all these workloads start to move into the hyperscalers, the enterprise now becomes really critically dependent on the network again. You know, when we were doing compute at the edge, it didn't matter so much, but now having the ability to control the path from source to destination is really critical when your workloads are in the hyperscalers. So, was there an open network? just like there had been open source and so passionate about ensuring, you know, empowering the enterprise Uh, console connect represented for me, a chance to open up the network again and put the enterprise back in
0: charge. Well, you're talking about the dependency that enterprises have on their WAN providers. Uh, And this does depend somewhat on the market, but it's, It's rough. It can be really rough. Lead time for circuits, where you can get circuits, how much they're going to charge you for last mile access, whether you're getting true diversity, all those sorts of things can be uh, really painful. Now, add to that a mix of not just physical premises, wherever you're going, but then now I'm connecting to SaaS. Now I'm connecting to cloud. Now I'm connecting to uh, some neutral data center where I happen to have colo. And your WAN presence and what you actually need out of your provider is that much more complex and, and time sensitive uh, often as well. So t- to me, when you describe what was going on at the time Console Connect got founded or what you can do with it, th- those are the problems that you're addressing. I, hopefully I just got excited for the right reasons, Paul.
2: Absolutely, Ethan, spot on. That's what we're using. You could see the trend beginning, right? In, the, in 2014, 2015, more and more mission critical value of applications were being delivered to the enterprise via a SaaS application, via cloud. And so, therefore, this network criticality became really important in the future of the enterprise. And so, did the, the ability to connect quickly. You know, it's, I'm going to put, type in my credit card now, and 15 minutes later, I'm starting to put Critical data into a SaaS application. How do I connect to it? Is that going to be as seamless as a credit card entry experience? So that's what that 1.3 million lines of code is doing: is giving you the same elasticity around uh, network as you've had with compute.
0: Well, there's another sort of obvious question to ask here, which is this: a lot of folks that are connecting to these resources are just saying, "I use the internet. That's good enough. Why do I need console connect?" What's the answer to that?
2: Well, the internet is good enough. One of the beauty of J and I joining uh, PCCW Global via acquisition is, you know, the, the underlying network under Console Connect is AS 3491. Like, you know, we're mm-hmm. in the top 10 ASs in, in the world, and we ship about 17% of all routable addresses over the internet. So this is a, a very different scale of network to when we were a startup out of Silicon Valley. Um, And I would argue that we deliver very good internet on AS3491, but Mm -hmm. some applications are best served from an appropriate allocation of bandwidth for the task. You know, we've got a mission critical application that we've recently moved into cloud and I've got 400 staff in an office. That may seem unusual, but we're a very geographically uh, distributed company and we do have staff returning to office environments in some parts of the world. And when I'm moving a mission-critical application into a public cloud, I need to have assurance that I've got reliable bandwidth allocated to that application for my staff who are in an office. That's what Console Connect does for me as an internal user, and it's what it does for our external users as well.
3: There's one element of this that people don't seem to realize until it smacks them in the face. There are regulatory and geographic restraints to some traffic, depending on where you are sitting. And so there are needs, and there are customers who who need to know exactly the path that their traffic is taking. And that, uh, you know, no matter how good your your public internet is, that's never going to be the case. You're never going to be able to tie that traffic to a particular path. These dedicated interconnections that do allow that point-to-point visibility into exactly the path that the traffic is taking, and can even be controlled to the extent that that you can modify and and influence that traffic. Uh, flow and then even produce reports uh, in in the case that that those need to be you know reported out to to various agencies. So a lot of need there for that.
0: So then, if I whip out the credit card and uh, and give some money to Console Connect for that circuit, is that network then all your own? I mean, I understand yes, I can get internet through that potentially, but is that all your own network then, or, or are you? Like there's some providers out there in this space that what they're really doing is cobbling together a bunch of other people's networks and maybe they do an overlay on top kind of thing but that doesn't sound like what you're doing
2: absolutely not so uh pccw global as3491 has been a network built by over almost two decades the underlying infrastructure that sits under the beautiful user experience see of console connect is 135 points of presence just in the transmission network 46 terabits of transmission capacity and 67 international cable systems. That's just layer one. Mm. Layer two is 127 points of presence, 18 terabits of edge capacity, and 17% of the internet routes. And then we took the 1.3 million lines of console connect and integrated it with that network and said, have at it, this is what you
1: can now automate. Wow. So you're not only orchestrating customers, you're also orchestrating your own uh, parent company to a certain degree. Would that be correct?
2: Yeah, actually, one of our one of our biggest customers is our parent company.
1: (laughs) How about that? So if I'm a potential customer and I'm curious, you've already mentioned sort of cloud and SaaS, but specifically what kind of endpoints could I connect into a console connect network if I'm a client?
3: continues to grow day by day, which is the wonderful news. Obviously, our initial target was large hyperscalers. So all the public clouds that, that everyone's familiar with, AWS, Google, Azure, you know, Alibaba, Tencent, um, Oracle, IBM, uh, and then we get to some some much more regional cloud, private and public cloud uh, connectivity. So all those are available. But then there's a second class of, or a second category of of endpoints, which are you know, SaaS providers. So, um, you know, regardless of where they happen to be located, that ability to connect to, you know, your provider, that that entity that's, that's providing some sort of core critical application. Um, another category are your own assets. Um, we have a, a number of customers who use the Console Connect platform to extend their own network, be it, uh, you know, data center to data center, uh, you know, Branch office to, to, to main office, that sort of thing. And then the last category from a private interconnection standpoint are other enterprises hmm. and is a it ebbs and flows. That one's a funny one. It's one of those cases where when two companies do need to, to tie their networks together for whatever reason, um, it's an incredibly valuable asset to be able to do that through the platform and to be able to see all of those the, all those uh, participants in our, our network and be able to you know, extend and, and uh, try to con- interconnect to them. Um, so that's the private interconnection bit. We also now are offering um, a IP transit or, or general internet access um, capability through the platform as well. So that's a new endpoint that we have recently added the past couple of months. And then uh, the other new one that, that's just been launched on the platform is that we have now added uh, internet exchanges and continue to add more and more uh, as we move along. So that's going to allow a user to, over our network, find a, an internet exchange and wherever they want it to be, it doesn't have to be you know, local to them, and not only provision that interconnection to that internet exchange, but also use us to help work through the setup and negotiation period with the internet exchange as well. So it becomes almost an internet exchange as a service, which is hmm. uh, kind of a, a new concept but um if you've ever you know worked through the details of provisioning that sort of connectivity and working with the internet exchange and all the quarantine bits and and all of that it's not the most straightforward process and so uh, being able to to bring some sort of automation and flow to that has been immensely helpful to our customers
0: <laughs> with, with the internet exchange you're talking about like uh like like extending the layer 2 typical IXP sort of a service down to the customer but automating it and the other element that gets used there is we have
3: customers who they may be located in silicon valley but for whatever reason need to see the internet exchange traffic out of london or maybe they need to see the the financial internet exchange traffic you know out of singapore and they want to they want to see that in new york historically the way to do that would have been to go drop a load of gear into wherever you wanted to see that internet exchange yeah. and then back call it We say, hey, you know, this is your network. These are your ports. You know, if you want to pull traffic back across the Atlantic, be our guest. Here's a here's a dedicated connection point to point. You can monitor all the metrics on it and we'll deliver this traffic wherever you would like it.
1: I want to back up to a point that you made earlier, which is connecting to branch offices Mm -hmm. and data centers within your organization uh, does that assume that I already have some sort of WAN set up, or are you also providing some level of connectivity down to those branch offices? How, how would that work?
3: Uh, we can do it both ways. Uh, to be honest, um, we do have an, a number of of customers who are co located with us or are co located in one of the data centers that we have on the platform and and, and via orchestration. But as a as a company, we also offer um, you know SD WAN connectivity being one of the, the you know, the top 10 uh, providers in the world, we also have number of partnerships with local loop providers, for example. So, if you don't want to go that SD-WAN route, but you want a local loop from wherever that office address is to the closest data center, we can negotiate that as well. We can offer you, you know, whatever the, how many of our options there are available and then, um, you know, broker that deal for you and, and as part of, of the partnership and the the relationship, uh, and then of course we continue to scale and build uh, new capabilities as we move forward.
0: I just heard you say essentially you'll manage the connection for me, so I don't have to deal with a last mile provider. Uh, yeah, if you don't yeah, if I don't want yeah. to, if I have something, yeah. then you can. Yeah. glom onto that. Um, but, exactly. Yeah, but but if I want you to do it all for me, you can. Mm-hmm uh so that i mean that that answers the question then about that i had which is how do i do private interconnect between companies and it sounds like basically it must be the same kind of thing i get some kind of a console connect handoff between the the premises that need to be connected and then you folks will stand up that private interconnect for me
3: yeah we will and and between two separate entities um we do actually have a check and balance system which is probably for the best So, um, you know, company A can request an interconnection to company B, Uh, the the information that gets shared in that is is actually fairly minimal. Uh, Obviously, we want to protect both sides of of that. Uh, And then those parties on the platform can actually communicate with one another um, just to build some level of trust to, uh, you know, negotiate in the moment yeah. Hey, you know, let's interconnect. We're doing you know X amount of volume of traffic already. Uh, you know, let's go at, at 100 megs. Let's go to 125 megs, and be mm-hmm. able to have that conversation in real time, in the moment, and then the Z end company can accept that interconnection or de- decline it. They can um, they can accept it at a lower bandwidth if if that's the desire. And so we do have that check and balance to make sure that, you know, both sides feel comfortable, that both sides are uh, uh, you know, agreeing to the, the, uh, the peering, but that's exactly how it works.
0: Uh, it feels very IXP-like in that, in that context, Jay. Yeah,
2: <laughs> And it came about from uh, really the first couple of years when we spent a lot of time with the customer base and the users of the platform trying to understand what, what problems we can solve for them. And there's one particular uh, network engineer at a SaaS provider who said, you know, in 2015, I had three companies ask me uh, if they could directly connect to my SaaS application. And then by February 2016, I had 15 companies in the first two months. And he said, you know, I'm a network engineer at a SaaS provider. I'm dealing with trying to maintain the public infrastructure of my SaaS app. And I occasionally get these inside sales guys will come to me and say, oh, I've got a customer who wants to directly connect. How do I do that? He says, I don't have the team or the time to manage getting everybody on board. You know, the general enterprise doesn't have a lot of network competency. So he said, can you build it so that I can just tell them to go get a port on console connect, they click a request button and I accept it and we're done. And that's really core to the, the, that user journey that uh, Jay just described was this ability. How do we facilitate network engineers on either side of of the connectivity getting to trust each other and interacting with each other to provision the service. So Hmm. it's good if you get a chance to see it in action.
1: It's really cool. Hmm. That is pretty cool. Now, let's say I only need that connection between this other company for a couple of months because we're moving a lot of data for a project and then that project ends. Is that something I can do or do I have to commit to a year of of that connection? So what is the commitment when I want to create a connection with console connect?
2: Yeah. So we take it down to a day. So if you when you go to provision a service, irrespective of whether it's connecting to another user on the platform, connecting to a cloud provider, connecting between data centers, you can choose a day, a week, a month, or a year.
1: Okay. So I, I I'm not locked in for a year. I, I can do it for the two months that my project runs and then shut it down when I'm done. In terms of what I'm paying, am I paying just a flat rate for the connection or do I pay per, you know, transferred? Is this a situation like AWS where I'm going to get hit for internet mm-hmm. connection fees coming and going? So <laughs> what's the deal there?
2: Yeah, great question, Ned. And so it's a flat fee. We wanted to give the enterprise the same sort of uh, continuity and confidence that if I'm provisioning this service then I know what it's going to charge, we've obviously got the ability to flex bandwidth up and down, or you can change that term of the connection if you need to, but we're not going to change the price on you. You know, it's, it's a, it's a fixed fee
1: gotcha okay and if i need more bandwidth that project we realize oh crap we, you know we we have a hundred meg circuit but we need a one gig connection because there's just so much there i can easily move that up is there an upper limit right now on the connection size that i could provision
2: yeah port limit so we're doing connectivity at one and 10 gig and soon we'll be introducing 100 gig ports
1: okay Okay. So I guess my big project is going to have to wait for those 100 gig ports because obviously (laughs) I've I've got a data lake next to a data swap and I just got a lot of stuff to move. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Another neat aspect of that flexibility
3: is, um, you know, it can be programmatically controlled. So, you know, we were just speaking in terms of, you know, suddenly I have a huge need for bandwidth or or whatnot. Um, We have customers that, that kind of script their their flex over the course of a day or over the course of a week. They know that you know on Friday that they're gonna you know download whatever, or they know that you know at six o'clock uh, p.m. regional wherever that they're gonna you know send their their uh, you know daily receipts or whatever back to home office, and so they can they can just kind of programmatically control that over the course of the day and really maximize their spend. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, uh, these customers are paying for these ports, these customers are paying for their cross connect, and they should kind of be in the driver's seat for how they want to utilize that spend. That was really one of the the foundational goals.
0: What's the onboarding process? I'm going to guess it's really straightforward just from what you're describing, because it would be weird if you made me go through like a lot of hoops in a 50 page contract. (laughs)
2: We have a fantastic design team who've been with the platform since we first started putting a user experience in place. The onboarding journey is really simple and transparent. It's click through a couple of terms and conditions. Uh, If you're going to get connectivity in a data center, we'll automate the LOA for you. And once your port goes active, you're notified by the platform and you can start provisioning multiple services from from a single port.
0: Yeah, straightforward enough. All right, doesn't sound bad at all. Well, okay, gentlemen, we have a good idea of what Console Connect is and does, and why I want to use it. Now, let's look behind the curtains. I want to get I want to get a little nerdy with what uh, what you guys are doing because there's a lot of magic there. And when we were prepping for this call, you told us there are no secrets. You'd share with us a lot of what was going on behind the scenes. So let's let's dig into it. Now, you have told us that Console Connect is orchestrating one of the largest IPv4 networks in the world. Okay, so let's let's start at the beginning. If I'm a consumer, I'm standing up a new circuit. I'm clicking buttons in the GUI. What actually is happening to bring that circuit to life?
3: Yeah. So this is where the real magic uh, happens, uh, to be honest. Um, and I kind of have to take a, a bit of a step back and, and kind of give a, a bit of a tour of how we got to this point. The initial network that we were intended to orchestrate so prior to the acquisition I think we all sat around a table one day, and you know we were all very excited, oh, we're gonna you know open flow and the latest and greatest, and you know code that's five minutes old, we're gonna deploy it and um, we very quickly hit the brakes on that because we realized that that was not a good idea uh, for a myriad of reasons. That was a, a in comparison to the PCCW global network, it was a minutely small network, but even at that scale, we knew that to be able to get in front of a customer and tell them that we had confidence in what we were doing and that that you know we earned their trust, we needed to be able to say, we're orchestrating this network just like anyone else would. We're, we're orchestrating it the way that the vendor of the devices intended to, and, and that is the way that our support organization can look at it, that's the way our not can look at it, and that's the way that can triage and debug any issues. So fast forward to when the acquisition occurred, the solid foundational goal there was northbound API. We wanted to be crystal clear and transparent. So the front end, the API, the, all the orchestration breach downs, we wanted that to be a crystal clear API and interface. Southbound down to the network layer, as I said, we wanted to make sure that we were operating in the same way that the network was, was already sitting there. So we didn't want to come to a network with the size of PCCW Globals and start pushing, you know, a new technology down there to co-reside beside traditional programming and traditional configuration. So we push Cisco code straight to the Cisco boxes. The template that we're pushing down is identical to what a a customer engineer or or, a technical account would push to the device in the case of a manual provisioning.
0: So, so so let's pause here for just a second, Jay. So there's a couple of things worth defining to, to set context here. So, so we've got some device in the middle here, a controller, let's call it. And then we've got a northbound interface with a clearly defined API, you said. That's what I, I could call that API as a, as a consumer and and tell the controller, I want certain things to happen uh, using that API. That's correct. The southbound direction is what the controller is using to talk to the devices. You mentioned Cisco devices specifically. And what you're saying basically is you're using the Cisco CLI, but you're doing it in an automated way, um, as opposed to using one of the many uh, great variety of APIs that Cisco and various other <laughs> vendors provide you that are uh, specific and to each platform and so on. You're just sticking with the CLI, so you've got a, mm-hmm. your southbound interface is basically you're I assume SSHing into the device, running commands at the at the at the device to execute whatever it is that the customer is needing.
3: Yeah, we are. And all of those various functions are wrapped um, as well. So, should we need to change them, should we decide, uh, you know, with a, a turn of, of technology, um, if we start going deploying, um, you know, net new gear that supports some newfangled way of doing something, we can very easily trade out what we're doing on, on that specific device because everything's modular. And, and we can obviously take advantage of that new technology. Um, but again, in a, in a manner that the vendor can, you know, look at and, and very easily go, Oh yeah, we see what you're doing. And
0: that we can, uh, as I said, communicate to our customers exactly what we're doing. Um, so, so two keywords words there, you said, you said modular and you said yes. wrapped. So basically we've got an abstraction layer. Yes. So if you don't want to use Cisco next year and you swap in, I don't know, Juniper, Arista, whatever, <laughs> you can do that. You can modify what you're sending in the southbound direction because you and, and without having to blow up the entire code base you just that, update that the module pretty. to speak whatever is needed to be spoken to those devices. And, and and in fact this is not only
3: uh hypothetical the acquisition we were prior to the acquisition we were not on Cisco gear. Um the team spent um 3 weeks or sorry 3 months um, porting and in 90 days we went from acquisition to writing uh, orchestrated automated code to the network and that was the power of that abstraction layer and and the the power of understanding what we were doing um it, it made it very simple to set the two configurations side by side and go oh yeah okay yeah we just we need to change this primitive we need to change this directive all the variables coming from over here now uh, it, it was very straightforward to do that port uh, I don't necessarily want to do it again, but, um, <laughs> but we did it.
1: Well, it's a good thing that technology doesn't ever change. And and you definitely won't have to go back. i
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. not going back, not going back.
1: Um, I'm curious about some of the maybe a little bit of the implementation details yeah. on that, because uh, you could put something together entirely yourself. You said they have 1.3 million lines of code. There's a lot of code in there. Or you could leverage some existing tools that are out there that are meant to reach out to network devices and help configure them. So, did you roll your own in a programming language, or are you leveraging some of the open source tools that are out there?
3: Uh, all of the above. Um, we, you know, the, the development team and, and that worked on this; those of us that put this together. Um, our first inclination is going to be to pull an open source tool off the shelf. Um, for a myriad of reasons, um, you know, mostly that that means we don't have to maintain it. Um, <laughs> right. And we, we did that to a, a fair bit. We did have to write some, some code ourselves. We had to modify some code. Uh, we pushed that back upstream because we're good citizens. But, you know, a lot of that, that 1.3 million lines. There's a lot more going on than than just the network orchestration. There's a workflow engine and layer in there as well to control the the various uh, functions that we need to push down um, through that northbound interface. And then obviously there's a a beautiful API. Uh, It's actually two APIs. There's one to the back end and one to the front end. And then there is our user interface. And our portal as well. So there, there are a lot of pieces here that add up to that 1.3 million. I think if I were maintaining 1.3 million lines of network orchestration, we would probably be doing this podcast from a padded cell
0: (laughs) now jay you mentioned beautiful api and i and and i heard the eye rolls in the audience you're like yeah i bet it is i'm sure it's beautiful jay but i spent time in the api documentation prepping for this show which is all public you can just i forget the url we have it in the show notes if you go to packetpushers.net and day two cloud you'll find the show notes here and you look at the console connect api documentation it is clear it appears that a lot of it was written by a human who wanted another human to understand what it does. All the fields are, there's a lot of fields, man, depending on what's mm-hmm. going on. The JSON blob you get back is like, depending on what all you're trying to do, like, okay, these key value pairs are describing things I didn't know even needed to be things at the moment. And then you look at them and like, oh yeah, I can see how I'd need that. Yeah. It, it, it truly is a, a beautiful API. My compliments to you guys on that. Well, thank you. So
3: much and i will certainly take that back to the team as well um i i would like to take credit for even one ounce of it um <laughs> i can't um they the, uh, <laughs> the folks that put this together um, are truly amazing
0: let's dig into the api a little bit more jake can can you or, or paul can you give us some examples of how your user community in Console Connector are using the API? I mean, I think a lot of folks are just going to use the regular UI you provide over the web, right? But I mean, if folks are using the API, what kind of interesting things might they be doing?
2: Yeah, so a good way to summarize it perhaps is what Jay described is actually a four-tier architecture. So we've got a stateless uh, web client. So if you're interacting via the web interface, that's a stateless React application talking to a Node.js API. So the API documentation that you're talking about, there's this public facing via an API gateway node uh, microservices framework. And then at the core of what we do is a workflow engine, because often what we're trying to do is not just orchestrate our own network, but also orchestrate onward connectivity into partner networks or into public cloud providers who so have a workflow engine that maintains the state of that orchestration. And then the the bulk of the code that we were just describing was actually more like a an internal API that presents a network intent API to the workflow engine. So, okay, now I want to orchestrate our network. And a lot of that code is what's pushing the configuration down to the the Cisco network. So it's really those four components. And the part that you see when you're looking at the public documentation is the, the node API layer where you can mm-hmm. do th- complex things like okay i want to provision a service to aws and i want to provision yep. a service through to gcp and he's going to be you know or i want to provision connectivity through to azure and here's where you're going to give me your s keys and the json blocks
0: oh and, and, so, and it gets right mm-hmm. down to the nitty-gritty of you know the vlan tags and you know port speeds and and so on it really gets in there as deep as you as you as a network engineer that might be listening to us would would think it might it really does
2: yeah and I think as a testament for you know the software developers doing networking we have a couple of partners who've fully integrated their web portal with our API so their end customers don't even know they're using our our network <laughs> which is a you know have we delivered an API endpoint that allows you to do everything that we you can see via the web interface is an example of it where it's not even our web interface
1: Right, right. I, I want to dig into this workflow engine a little bit more, but before I do that, I also read through the API docs and I just want to let you know, you've got the Ned official stamp of approval for excellent. <laughs> docs. That's
2: good.
3: That sounds like yeah, a, just,
1: a sticker we need to put on the, the web. It really should. Net NED NED. approved. <laughs> NED approved yeah. Maybe that needs to be a sticker. On. Uh, but I do want to talk about the workflow engine, because when I think about all the things that, you know, a simple creation of a connection needs to go through and to happen. This sequence of events, that's a pretty complicated thing. One thing we've talked about before is just if you look at the public clouds, like the major three, the way that they approach networking and especially stuff like direct connect or express route, each one does it vastly differently than the other ones. So you have to deal with that nonsense and then you have to deal with all the carrier stuff what is going on in that workflow engine to actually align the pieces up so everything doesn't just completely fall apart? You're dead on with the
3: complexity that that's involved here. Um, the fascinating thing is, kind of as our workflow became more and more powerful, it was a real kind of struggle for me, honestly, being in the role of working on the network orchestration layer itself, because I, I kept feeling, well, no, 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 we'll, we'll do that. Leave that to the network folks. Uh, you know, we'll do that step. We'll do that step. And, and you know, as we started working through it, I've, I've really started to understand the value of that workflow and the, the ability to you know, very easily shift blocks around and, and change the order in which um, certain actions would happen. But the, the true outcome of that, or at least from my perspective, one of the, the best outcomes of that is it forced the network orchestration to get broken down to very atomic discrete actions. Mm. So I don't have to have my network know how to provision an AWS Direct Connect. I just have to have my network orchestration know how to provision VLANs, how to provision trunk ports, how to provision distribution links, Mm. how to provision point-to-point circuits. And I can just cobble those bits together until I get to the structure that I need. And, and that structure can be defined by this workflow. And if next week AWS decides to change that structure and what that needs to look like, we just go into the workflow engine and swap blocks around and everything magically continues to work. Um, I, I, my folks didn't have to touch one line of code. It's truly amazing. The natural extension of that then is our iterative process to approaching some of these partners or to approaching a new connectivity realm we can just start with the basic building blocks and just keep moving that uh, point along as, as we walk through the process. And so at any point we can say, okay, well, at this point, we're going go to go to a manual process. We're going to stub out and let humans deal with it. And then, you know, two weeks later in our next push, we may have orchestrated two more of those human activities. And so we just move that human bounce point down two more steps until we finally get the entire workflow Fully automated and orchestrated, it's it's been incredibly powerful. And in the event that stuff does go weird, because stuff does go weird, <laughs> always, um, always. <laughs> it, it, it's been amazing how we've been able to glob that information out of the workflow, present it in a workspace. And, and we can go in, we can investigate it, we can very quickly, it's helped with debug and triage so many different ways. Mm. We can trade out variables, you know, oh, wait a minute, okay, we, we see what happened there. You know, oh, we, you know, in test, we, we picked up the wrong port UUID for that Google port. Uh, you know, we flipped, we flipped the one and the two. Oh, okay, <laughs> well, let's change that in the, you know, in our testing, let's just flip that around in the workflow engine, and we'll just rerun the action again. Oh, okay, yeah, we're good. Moving on. Uh Um, You know, the the amount of time that we've saved by having that workflow there and being able to to orchestrate it, modify it
1: and interact with it has just been astounding. Right, right. And I I think a key point you put in there was not everything is going to be automated when you're working with and when you're working with the big clouds, they probably have everything automated because they kind of have to. But when you're working with other customers, some of the SaaS customers I'm sure you're working with, they don't have everything automated. So if there's a manual step, you can you can add that into the workflow and it's not a big deal, right?
3: Yeah, correct. And you know, to be fair, even with the big guys, um, not everything is automated. Uh, AWS is a perfect example by policy. AWS doesn't want us as an APN partner to provision a virtual interface for a customer. That's something that the customer needs to do um, because that's mm-hmm. a, you know a, a revenue impacting or or it's a chargeable uh, action. Mm-hmm. So there are there are manual steps even during an automated direct connect. <laughs> um, and so it again the workflow makes it very easy to just stick in a human action and we say you know Mr. User you now need to go to your AWS um, console and you need to accept this direct connect and you need to you know take these next two steps and then come back to us and we will finish everything else. Come back to us, click a button. We'll finish it.
1: Okay. now, one of the things that I've been challenged with whenever I'm trying to orchestrate a big infrastructure build or something like that and then make updates to it is managing the state of everything, Mm -hmm. knowing what state all the different components are currently in and then feeding that into the engine to go, Okay, what changes are necessary to get to the desired state at the end? So how are you maintaining all of that state? Because it seems like it's it's a lot of information.
2: Yeah, and actually great question, Dave. The reason we ended up with this um, focus around the workflow is because it originally it came from a security posture. So we wanted to have a separation of concerns between physical state and logical state. And that's what led to this component we call service layer, which is our network uh, intent automation infrastructure. It's got all of the state information about the physical network. But for the the workflow engine that Jay's just been describing contains all the logical state. So we can take those two attributes and the different security domains as well, different software architecture, different stacks that we operate, but we can bring them together in that workflow engine, pulling telemetry from the physical state of the network, pulling the logical state of your current configuration in your cloud provider, and then carry on with the workflow. That's as Jay described.
1: Okay, so it's um, kind of like pulling on demand as opposed to trying to hold it all in the database and refresh that on a regular interval.
2: Yeah, we do use some caching technology for performance, but we predominantly as a design principle treat the configuration of the live network as the master um, so that we never get into a state, you know, state in adherence. Yeah. Right. And it, it's been great. It's allowed us to be, I think we were the first ISO 27001 certified software-defined interconnection platform. In the world as a result we're able to operate our information security management system and and deliver that level of security posture assurance for for our users
0: so i I got kind of a kind of a qos question i think one of my favorite (laughs) topics so i I don't know if we even brought it up in the show, but I know from talking to you guys that I don't have to have multiple physical ports, like one per service. I can have one physical port connected to console connect and then run a bunch of services over that and you'll virtualize them for me. Okay, so how do I do that and not have the services I'm running on the same physical line clobber each other? It was a challenge.
3: Um, <laughs> and And it, it was a challenge, not just from the perspective of, Oh, okay. Here are the here are the primitives to do that, but from a perspective of proving that they were actually doing what we wanted them to do, and uh, and we're, and we're protected. Um, one of the benefits of being on a network this large is that you, uh, mm-hmm. in a test environment, you can very easily create a a DDoS attack on yourself. Uh, <laughs> that's fun to do, by the way. <laughs> great fun. Uh, so we, we've got environments that, that we can replicate this. We've got data that we can replay and, and um, mm. you know, kind of replicate these scenarios. And so we've been able to use that um, with the primitives for for QoS, COS, um, VLAN segregation in order to ensure that the traffic was truly protected and acting as the customer wishes. And And that mm. last bit's important because... Some customers say, you know, okay, here, here's my gold level traffic. Here's my, you know, VoIP or, or my video conference traffic. The rest of it is important, but, eh, I, you know, whatever. As long as you get these bits through, I'm fine. Um, other mm-hmm. customers segment it all the way down.
0: Uh, uh, that sounds like multi-level queuing to me, where you're actually yeah. doing traffic identification, and prioritizing, and then dequeuing during congested moments according to a right. policy. Right. Right. So traffic shaping to some degree then too?
3: There's policing and shaping occurring um, uh, depending mm-hmm. on e- ingress or egress. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and depending on where we are within the network. Um, at the end of the day, it is an MPLS network. So there are uh, a gob of benefits from that that allow us to you know, shift traffic around, traffic engineer it um, in cases that we need to. Uh, so We've got a lot of tools in that. Toolbox that, that we can leverage and do leverage on a daily basis. The other thing is, you know, you, yes, you're getting an IP transit feed across across a common port, but it's a rate limited IP transit feed, and it's a hard rate limit. And you know, that's that's what the customer has asked for.
0: As in, I have a 10 gig port, but uh, you know, if I'm only paying for this particular service to have two gigs, you're rate limiting that hard, leaving the other the other amount of bandwidth is free for other services.
2: Correct. Exactly. And I think a key point there, Ethan, is the fact that we've got uh, this internet on demand capability. So if you think of other software defined interconnection platforms, they're in adjacency, you know, you've got to order another cross connect to another service because you still need internet access. We saw that as a real barrier to adoption for the enterprise trying to look at these types of initiatives. So from a single port on console connect, you can get your general internet, you can get your AWS, you can get your GCP, all separated by VLAN, all shaped as as Jay just described. So there's one cross connect, and you can get all of your connectivity,
0: internet on demand. Okay, yeah, I like it. You guys are uh, knocking down the adoption barriers, definitely. And this has been Ned. I don't know what you thought about all this, but this this was a fascinating conversation to me in the sense that I I, I don't know how much WAN work you've done in the past, Ned. Having to order circuits and manage them, it's historically been so painful. So to be able to do point and click is a whole different world. Yeah, enough that I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul and Jay, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Jay, would you share with folks how they can uh, connect with you guys and uh, follow you, find out more information about console connect?
3: Certainly. And, and uh, first off, thanks to to Ethan and, and Ned. thanks to you both for having us on here and letting us uh, talk about our our project and our our little baby creating an account and and being a part of the console connect uh, ecosystem is free free as in beer um so come visit us at www.consoleconnect.com and uh, you can there's a button there where you can create a uh, an account and and join us take a look we've got um we've got a pricing tool there you can go and price circuits you can price ports um, everything's public. Um, off of that link, we've got FAQs. We've got documentation links as well. All of that's off that consoleconnect.com site. Um, Paul and I are both on the platform. Um, you are welcome to look us up and, and send us a message. There is some uh, social networking aspects there where you can chat with us on the platform. Um, uh, that's that's the best way. Just uh, give us a poke and let us know what you think. And uh, certainly if if someone's looking for for some connectivity we'd be happy to sell it to you <laughs> very
0: good <laughs> uh, thanks to both you uh, real humans and uh, hop on over to consoleconnect.com, create that account again for free and uh Talk to the people you just heard talking on this podcast, uh, Jay and Paul. And if you're not remembering names and links and all that, because I don't know, you're in the car commuting to the office, because maybe that's a thing for you again. All the information, all the links will be in the show notes at packetpushers.net. Just find the day two cloud link and uh, find them there or day two cloud.io. Our thanks to Console Connect for sponsoring day two cloud today. Ned and I are both independent content creators. That's right, we work for ourselves, making stuff for you. And our sponsors mean that we can keep on doing that. Now, hey, maybe you're listening and you're a tech vendor with a way cool cloud product that you want to share with our audience of Cloudy Geeks. Well, why not become a day two cloud sponsor yourself? You'll reach thousands of hands on professionals in our audience who are building clouds for their companies. Find out more at PacketPushers.net slash sponsorship. And if you have ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear them. Tweet at Day Two Cloud Show or fill out the form on Ned's fancy website, netandhecloud.com. And as always, virtual high fives to you for listening. You are a most excellent human. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.